Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Tuesday, May 12th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. Um, Dan, you're with me again today. And, you know, we've seen better days for any investors interested in consumer goods out there, to say the least. Um, and I, and I want to talk today about retail bankruptcies, but not just retail bankruptcies like we've been hearing in the media. Dan, I know that you uh, and Dylan last week for a Wildcard Wednesday talked a lot about uh, retail bankruptcies. We've been doing a lot of talking about uh, some of the big news during our full live streams. But today, I want to talk about some of the really good companies that maybe have been impacted by this coronavirus. Maybe not to the point of bankruptcy, but if this was protracted, could be headed that way. Um, Dan, that was a long introduction. How are you doing? It was. I, I, I'm good. I've, uh, I've seen more of you in the last month than in our entire previous working relationship. <laughs> That's very true. That, uh, that uh, I, I would say I, I speak to you as often as I speak to my wife. Uh, and, and I mean that because by the end of the day, I have no ability to talk anymore. She's exhausted from Zoom meetings all day. So, you know, I, I, I'm more likely to be sitting at the dinner table texting her than actually talking because uh, <laughs> I've been using most of my words on air. Yes, I, I'm, I have said this before, Dan, but I am shocked that your voice has held up through all of this because. Yeah, you particular, you've been doing a lot of live streaming for us here, and you're still doing the podcast. You blow my mind. I don't say no to anything. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where we're all stretched really thin right now. The people like Austin mm-hmm. Morgan behind the scenes are doing things they didn't normally do. So I take the attitude of, if there's work to be done and you have the capacity to do it, do it. Because what else would I be doing right now? Like, like, do I need to play more Madden 2020? I don't think I do. Uh, so, you know, so it's, I'm grateful for the work. I know some other people out there are struggling and we, we absolutely appreciate that. We're going to talk about that quite a bit on the show. Um, but you know, as, as long as I can talk, I am going to not say no if asked to, uh, to perform somewhere. And before we jump into, you know, when, good consumer goods companies go bad because of pandemic. We have some, I say breaking news. I hate saying the word breaking news because I think it makes it sound really dramatic. But we have some breaking news this morning uh, coming out with reports that Uber is apparently in talks to buy Grubhub. And that's the extent of this story that I know. I've been in meetings all morning, so I saw the headline, but I know no details. Can you give me any more insight? Yeah. I mean, so they're talking. There's no deal. There's some logic in combining the top two delivery services. I, I don't know if maybe Postmates, or maybe they're not the top two, but they're two of the top delivery services. It gives them more scale, more access to restaurants. What it does not do, and why I think this is a terrible idea, it doesn't change pricing power. If there were only two players, if Uber and Lyft were combining, that would change pricing power. There's still Postmates. There's still local services. Uh, there's there's DoorDash. So it's not like when these two happen, they're all of a sudden going to be able to raise prices by 50%. So there is some economy of scale in the back end. 
As a consumer, this makes me nervous. Uber Eats has terrible customer service. Grubhub generally does a much better job, uh, and I can tell you which one would win if Uber if Uber buys Grubhub. Uh, so this is one to watch, but I understand why on the surface it makes sense. I don't. There's got to be consolidation in this space, but it's really got to go from like six to one. Uh, and and some of the local players, there are at least three local players. There's the delivery dudes here in West Palm Beach. There's Cravey uh, here in West Palm Beach. And there's at least one more. Uh, this is unsustainable. So I'm not sure why putting two bad businesses together, other than you need like less accountants and less software people. I'm not sure where the savings is here. Maybe I'm just the queen of bad businesses, but when I saw the headline, I thought to myself, yes, finally, although from an investing perspective, not a consumer perspective, because I know where I live. Uh, I really only have those two options. I have Grubhub and I have Uber Eats. Uh, I think it's Postmates doesn't deliver to my area. I am too far out of DC. I'm in Greenbelt, Maryland. So I'm just far off out enough of the city that, you know, Postmates isn't coming towards me. But Maybe there are local delivery players. I just never gone out of my way to try to find them. I have only ordered, okay, granted, I've ordered from Domino's directly, but otherwise, I've only gotten food delivery during this pandemic from Grubhub or Uber Eats. Well, I would say those companies may not be in your town, but uh, I usually stay out by BWI. The last night I'm, I'm there, I'll, I'll stay by the mall out there. Uh, and there's there's so many restaurants there. Postmates is there, DoorDash is there, there's probably others. If you go to Open Table right now, they will actually show you uh, not only just w- what restaurants have delivery available, it will show you what services they're on. So that is a, at least it does in my market. I, I haven't been to your market so, since this happened, uh, but it probably does. And it's really useful to know hey, oh, I didn't th- realize that restaurant was doing curbside pickup. I could call them and order. Or, oh, hey, this restaurant uh, is now on DoorDash. Like, there's an Asian place that's pretty far from me that I, that I like. Um, you know, really high quality sushi and and and, and soups and other things, uh, and they're they're like twenty five minutes away, but they must need the business, so they're now delivering on I want to say DoorDash to to my house, which I'm guessing they won't do post pandemic, but right now, you know, any bit of food diversity is a good thing. Yeah, that's great. Maybe I just need to put in more work. <laughs> that's what I'm learning. Uh, yeah. From this. I- I, I, I was joking with, with our, our producer, Austin Morgan, before this, that I, I now spend like half my time procuring food and making sure it doesn't go bad, because uh, today I got an Omaha Steaks delivery, and my building doesn't like call you and say you have a perishable delivery. You just get the same like text notice that you get, and it, go, it was literally in an Amazon locker. And fortunately, it's, it, it's on dry ice, so if I ha- hadn't been home and you know, I'd waited a few hours to get it. It would have been okay. Uh, but there's so much planning with Instacart and delivery and orders and what's open. And Mother's Day, we ordered from uh, from Morton's and they showed up with it. It was Grubhub uh, and it was wrong. <laughs> like it just wasn't our order. So thankfully, the woman saw how much I had tipped, which was generous, and went back and got the right order instead of the normal Grubhub procedure, which would be to just cancel you. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's very tricky right now. Uh, and I would like to see better customer service from all of these companies as we come out of this. Well, in addition to the big news coming out from Uber and Grubhub, and we'll see what actually ends up happening with that. I'm sure we'll have other people and our other podcasts uh, following up with the, the details of if and when a deal happens. But building off of that, we've also had just a really noisy month when it comes to bankruptcies. And as I said at the onset of the show, you and Dylan talked earlier last week about what bankruptcy could actually mean for a lot of these retail companies that we talk about. And 
you're a big proponent. You say it all the time, and maybe I'm stealing your thunder by repeating your words here, but you always say these are the companies that were circling the drain before anything (laughs) really happened with coronavirus. Yeah. I mean, when you look at, say, like a JCPenney, like probably nothing was going to save JCPenney other than the people it owes money being willing to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's not true of Macy's. I, I actually was on Answers yesterday talking about some of these same topics, um, which is a first for me. I've never done that show before. Um, and we took the discussion in more, more of a light direction. But you're, you're absolutely I, – I, I don't care if uh, Sears goes bankrupt because Sears was going to go bankrupt anyway. That isn't a coronavirus story. That is just a coronavirus acceleration. Much like coronavirus has accelerated, say, Netflix subscribers, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get these companies that weren't making money. They're going to run out of cash faster. But what we're talking about today, though, is companies that aren't running out of money, that are doing fine. Now, there's one on this list that isn't. Um, and they're still being hit because obviously you can't open for business. Or if you can, uh, you're opening in a very limited capacity. I know like Macy's, which is not on this list, uh, has opened some of its stores. But stores with 25% capacity and curbside pickup, they're not going to do the business it takes to justify how big those locations are. Yeah, exactly. What really made me want to talk about some of these otherwise good companies that are struggling or could be struggling in the face of a prolonged pandemic was actually a report that I read from MarketWatch. They noted that there were 26% more business bankruptcy filings in April, but consumer bankruptcy filings actually decreased 47% year over year. And there's obviously a lot of things that can play into that. You know, courts simply not being open, the stimulus checks that many American households did get. But I think a lot of it could possibly just shake down to uncertainty. So not knowing how long this pandemic could be in existence, a lot of people see their jobs and other layoffs as temporary. So they may not want to declare bankruptcy because they just simply don't know what the future holds. But it got me thinking about the companies. These great companies that have a really strong consumer base that are in a fine position right now, maybe struggling a little bit because of coronavirus. But if that core consumer starts to declare bankruptcy, if their layoffs are not temporary, they're actually permanent layoffs, could maybe see significant declines in their businesses. So yeah, I guess with that laid out, I just wanted to touch on these good companies. I want to be completely clear. I I like these companies. Virtually all the companies that I have, as you mentioned, Dan, on this list are companies that I like. But I, I guess I do think about what their business could look like five months from now if we get to you know October and we're still sitting in our houses. Yeah, it's also worth noting that um, there's money out there. I'm actually on Al Jazeera, of all places, in the Middle East uh, this afternoon, probably before this actually goes up, talking about the, uh, the Saudi Arabia Investment Fund. That was a place not a lot of people wanted to take money from before this. Obviously, you know, you know the political issues involving Saudi Arabia, but Carnival Cruise Line took money from them. Uh, it, Live Nation, I believe, is, is in talks or has taken money from them. Warner Music Group might take money from them. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, they bought a, a bigger stake in UFC. I, I don't remember if they sold their stake or if it got, it got made smaller with the purchase, but they are throwing money around, and some companies do not have the ability to be choosy as to how they raise money. Uh, so this is a really weird time for all of these companies. And, and you, you named one that I had on my list there, so I want to talk about it, and it's Live Nation. Uh, 
Live Nation, ticker LYV, I'm used to saying tickers because of our live streams, but Live Nation is the owner of Ticketmaster, which may give you some insight into what their business does if you're unaware. They are the biggest, uh, you know, retailer of tickets for concerts, events, any large groupings of people likely you're going through Ticketmaster and Live Nation to get your tickets for. They charge an arm and a leg for their services, but they are the only game in town. It has, up until this virus, made them a very compelling investment, even if you as a consumer may not like them. But this pandemic, I mean, Live Nation is making essentially no money right now. Yeah, they're, they're in a tough position, uh, and they don't have no competition. Uh, AEG has a competitor. Uh, you could argue Eventbrite's a competitor. But they're, they're of the big two ticketing services, they're the biggest. Eventbrite is an upstart. Uh, I forget what AEG's product is called, but, but, but they control a lot of venues, uh, so, so they have some sway too. But there's just no money coming in. Uh, and this is also, as a consumer, forgetting the people involved, bankruptcies are sad because people lose their jobs. Would any person who's ever been to a concert be sad that Ticketmaster went out of business? Like, they, 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 they charge you extra to print your ticket at home. Like, the amount of fees they tack on, I, I know. I try to avoid Ticketmaster. I buy tickets generally on secondary services. I use one called Vivid Seats. I, I maybe I've used StubHub uh, because somebody else has paid those fees. I'm just paying whatever they're, they're charging for the ticket. Makes me feel a little bit better. Live Nation also signs artists to deals uh, where, the, where the artist gets a, a guaranteed sum of money and then Live Nation gets some upside beyond just what they're charging. Uh, and none of that is happening. And this they're going to do some clever things. There, there's going to be some pay-per-views. There's going to be some concerts with limited seating where you can also you know, pay 20 bucks to watch it at home or, or, or whatever it is. But essentially, this is a company with no revenue, and its revenue prospects are, let's call it the first of the year at the best, and that's if there's a, a viable vaccine in September, which would be the first it could possibly happen, that's manufactured in mass numbers by the end of the year. I guess treatments would be more likely and more possible, uh, but this is a business that was a very healthy company that is now in a very dangerous situation. Yeah, and, and Live Nation, again, for all the bad things they do con to, to consumers, it has ended up being a really wonderfully profitable investment for a lot of people. However, they are a heavily indebted company. And when we talk about these bankruptcies, what seems to be the nail in a lot of companies' coffins is their level of debt. And with a company like Live Nation, their debt comes with a lot of covenants about how much other debt they can take out, how much earnings they can have in comparison to their, their debt interest. So there's assumptions that are made when they take out debt about their continuing, continuing operating uh, and, and the problem is, is that we just at this point don't have great insight into when Live Nation will be able to make sufficient revenue to cover the billions of dollars of debt that they have surfaced over the past few years. Um, a lot of lawyers who are listening, or a lot of contract lawyers who are listening, may uh, be upset with my my poor terminology here. But what what could save? Live Nation in this regard is is actually I think what is legally called an act of God in a lot of these contracts. It's a it's a situation that's uh, really outside of the control of Live Nation to do anything about that significantly impacts their business. That could save them from some of these covenants associated with their debt. But all in all, 
it's not a great situation. And, you know, I've had debates with another, you know, analyst here at the Motley Fool, Aaron Bush, about how long it could be until we see large scale events come back. And I think, you know, Aaron is very much under the mindset of it could be greater than a year before we see Live Nation holding events. If that's the case, this is a company that could be very troubled. Yeah, they're also a company, though, that when we have normal is very profitable. Uh, so one of the things we've been seeing is companies being able to negotiate. And it, it is missed payments that usually trigger a bankruptcy filing. Uh, we saw it with Hertz. Hertz missed a bankruptcy filing, had a period to negotiate with its lenders. The lenders said, well, we'll give you an extra three weeks to figure this out. That probably means when that term is up, Hertz will file bankruptcy, but they could find money, they could negotiate longer terms. Live Nation is right now talking with everybody it owes money to and saying, hey, look, can we push this back a year? We'll give you another couple of percentage points, whatever it is. That's not great for the company, but it's probably manageable. Because even if you have you know, debt that's at the top of the structure, you don't want to see a company go out of business at a time period where all the people who would normally buy Live Nation probably aren't interested right now. You know, Disney does not have the cash to buy Live Nation right now. AEG is in the same boat as Live Nation. They're, they're not going to buy their competitor. And I know that's not a publicly traded company, but my brother used to work there, so I, it's, it's in my head. Um, you know, all of these companies that, that are cash rich, they're not going to come to the rescue right now. So I think there's going to be a lot more uh, people holding the debt willing to say, like, geez, my best, my best scenario to get paid is to wait. Yeah, and that, that makes a, a promising value for a lot of the debt holders, but not for equity holders, which is you know a great because it probably means they're not going to declare bankruptcy, right? <laughs> but still, not not uh, great. Yeah, you, there 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 are likely to be dilutive actions in in all of these cases. Exactly. Um, well, also I say in the same vein, not really in the same vein, <laughs> but from that same uh, Market Watch report that I mentioned earlier, they had an interesting stat. They said that. 30% of restaurants that are tracked by S&P Global have had credit rate rankings that indicate they have at least a 50% chance of defaulting on their debts. So, obviously, we talked a lot about the restaurant industry and that being an industry that challenged, but one company in particular I want to talk about, and that's Texas Roadhouse. Texas Roadhouse, throughout all of this, has really been pretty steadfast in their operations, but how long do you think they can go on like this before it really starts to have a significant financial impact? Yeah, I, I don't think Texas Roadhouse has done a particularly good job. Oh, really? Like, like, so, so we go to Texas Roadhouse. They have my email. We also go to one of their competitors, Smoky Bones, uh, which is a, a more barbecue-based chain. Smoky Bones emails me every day with a different offer. We're doing uncooked family packs. We're doing cooked feasts. Where I haven't heard once from Texas Roadhouse. I don't see Texas Roadhouse uh, on any of the delivery services. They are doing pickup, I believe, but they're, they're a relatively low-priced steak. They, they, and maybe other people are getting their marketing, maybe I'm not. It doesn't feel to me, and I'm looking avidly for, for places to eat, it doesn't feel to me like they're doing a good enough job saying, hey, we're still here. A BJ's is another one, a publicly traded company, that they're struggling. They might go bankrupt, but they are doing pulling every lever they possibly can. Like When you drive by the BJ's near me, there is a giant hand-painted sign saying we're open. Uh, and that's a pretty good location, because they're next to a Starbucks that's doing uh, you know, blockbuster business right now with 
with really long lines. So you're going to see that they're open. Texas Roadhouse, it just doesn't seem like that well run a company. Like I, I know people are big fans. We get asked about it on Fool Live all the time. You know, I go back to the tone deaf still putting peanuts on all the tables. Like that just seems crazy to me in this day and age. So I don't know. Sometimes, and I haven't done a deep dive in this company. Sometimes when something like this happens, it shakes out how well the company is managed. And I'm not entirely sure Texas Roadhouse doesn't maybe need to make some changes. Yeah, I think my my deep dive into Texas Roadhouse may just be me ordering a bunch of of steaks from the local Texas Roadhouse and claiming research expenses. <laughs> but it's- uh, Emily, I I will join you on that episode, <laughs> and uh, I I would like when I try to put that bill in to see how that goes. <laughs> Something tells me uh, the Molly Fool would not bite on that expense. It's interesting you say that you don't trust the management, though, because I think the reason why Texas Roadhouse has gotten some good press during this uh, pandemic is because their CEO, Kent Taylor, said that he was going to forego pretty early on his salary and bonus throughout uh, the rest of 2020. And they've been pretty good about raising debt to help you know, granted, debt never a wonderful thing, but during this pandemic, rather understandable. Uh, and it has historically, maybe not the best when it comes to communicating with customers, clearly, but it's historically been a well-run franchise with, and we talk a lot about uh, sales per square foot in the retail space, and with really impressive sales, sales per square foot when businesses are, are still up to normal. That, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, this has been a very successful company. And I, I admit I'm putting too much weight on, again, just the weird operational choice to put, to put a deadly <laughs> allergen on all of its tables. Like, like th- this would be like my restaurant idea, where as you, you sit down and you're served, I say, oh, by the way, there is a poisonous snake just walking around. <laughs> like, you know, it, it, it seems like a poor choice. But, but I am probably overstating that because clearly customers like it and don't care. Um, so this just could be an unfortunate, look, they might be at a price point that doesn't make them that attractive to take out. Uh, like I, you know, I mentioned earlier for Mother's Day, we ordered from Morton's. I also from Morton's uh, got hamburgers to make tonight. So we got our cooked food. We also got a pack with raw food. It came with, came with three hamburgers, came with the buns. Um, didn't come with bacon or cheese. That would have been nice. Uh, but we have those things. Uh, so, you know, I would like to see, and maybe they're doing it. It just, as someone who has spent a lot of time looking, and there is a Texas Roadhouse pretty close to us, uh, and we get delivery from much farther away, it seems weird to me that they're not showing up as a choice. Yeah. And maybe I just like playing the contrarian too much. That's the debater inside me. Whenever someone gives me an opinion, I like to <laughs> place devil and advocate there. And Dan, we have a long list of companies. I really just jotted down spitballing about companies that I liked that could be threatened during this pandemic. We probably won't have time to get through all of them. But is there anything on that list that you feel particularly particularly compelled to talk about. Yeah, so you put Bed Bath and Beyond on this list. Bed Bath and Beyond was going to go bankrupt anyway. Yeah. Uh, or at least was it was at a strong risk for it. Bed Bath and Beyond has to figure out what it is. Uh, I, I hate to say this, but they leaned too much into the Beyond. Uh, I, I'm not sure the same store I buy my bedding and my you know, my, my bath towel needs to sell me Mike and Ike's. Like, there's a lot of weird stuff. They also don't promote very well. We've talked about this before. Bed Bath & Beyond has, like, the best sample size section of any store. It's, like, massive. It's, like, four times what they have at Target. I've never seen them once mention that. That feels like it would be a draw to get people in the store. Uh, this Look, they were doing a lot of things. They were closing stores. They were making changes. This is not going to help them. They were already in, in sort of a bad position. Um, 
The other one you mentioned on here, Planet Fitness. Uh, I have a question. Did they stop taking membership money during this while they're closed? Were they obligated to do that? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if they were obligated to do that, but it's my impression that they had stopped billing their members because they weren't able to provide the service, which, by the way, puts them in a very different position than a lot of other uh, gyms. I think it was, was it LA Fitness who recently came under fire from members for not canceling their payments? So, Planet 13 has at least been on the right side of history in, in that regard. Uh, Planet, Planet Fitness. Uh, you, oh, sorry, you've Planet, got your, Planet your, Fitness. You, you've got your day job uh, <laughs> uh, on your mind. So it's one of those scenarios where I know that like I, I'm still seeing my trainer. We've talked about this. We're, we're doing social distancing workouts. We meet outside at my house uh, in, in sort of like a park area that's in front of my house. We have a little bit of equipment. Uh, they're not great workouts. I try to still do my three times a week, but our schedules, as you know, are absolutely brutal. I pay him for three times a week, whether I do it or not. And I've just said, what we'll do is when this is all over and we can get back to the gym, we'll do a few four times a week to make up the sessions I've missed. If, if I was a Planet Fitness member and went there regularly, I would want them to ask me, would you like to keep paying? Because for the 10 bucks or 20 bucks, depending on if you have a one gym or all gym membership, I know I would keep paying because if you go to a gym, you know the people who work there, you know, as long as they tried to pay employees, I think a lot of people would voluntarily, you know, you know, keep paying that money. It, it, it's something like, you know, the people who've pushed back, well, ESPN doesn't have all this programming. Like, we, I should get $4 back in my cable bill. I don't know. I'd rather like that my buddy who's a producer for E60 doesn't get fired. Like, you know, so I, I think when it's little sums of money, but yeah, they're in trouble. That said, uh, their biggest expense is likely rent. And not too many landlords are going to want to lose a Planet Fitness. That eats up a lot of space. And the second this is over, they go back to charging everybody. Uh, so I would assume they can get rent forbearance uh, and other deals worked out and, and don't go bankrupt. Uh, because gyms are starting to reopen. And just because it's going to be unpleasant, most people who are members to Planet Fitness don't go anyway. Uh, so so they, they, you know, they, are, they are not going to be, be hurting for revenue probably pretty quickly. I think gyms open here on a very limited basis next week. Um, I, I know you can get a haircut starting this week. I don't know that you can get an appointment. Uh, and I'm in South Florida where the, the rule of science doesn't necessarily apply. Uh, things are still very much closed where you are, right? Yes, at least for the time being. And I, I like you talking about the rents and the fact that a lot of these uh, malls, and, and I say malls, maybe not the right word, strip centers, don't want to lose a lot of these big companies like Plant 13 that are really the drivers of foot traffic to the area. But in that same vein, let's maybe think about another company I have on this list that, again, I'm a big fan of, but is struggling right now, and that's Ulta Beauty. Now, Ulta, a lot of people will be saying, oh, it's what are you talking about? There's no long-term debt. Yes, I love that about Ulta. They have no long-term debt, but they do have a ton of net debt from their leases. Do you think Ulta Beauty is given the same leniency for their leases as a Planet Fitness? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because Ulta Beauty, I, I often say this, they're not ever in the best plaza, but they're never in the worst plaza. Like the, the, the one near me in Orlando, it isn't right next to the Target. It's the next plaza over, but it's still kind of the same parking lot. So like they have real estate where they are often the anchor tenant uh, and their stores are very distinctive looking. So if you look, if, if I'm a landlord and I could say, okay, I can have them default, kick them out, and it might take me two years to refill this space, or I may have to knock it down and build condos, or 
I understand that people are going to want, you know, value-based makeup after this is over, and Ulta is going to be in a good position to recover. I'm going to Ulta and saying, okay, don't pay me rent for three months if you can't afford it, uh, and we'll tack that on. You know, in, in year three, four, and five of your of your lease, your costs are going to go up, and we'll make that money up. I think there's deals to be made here because the last thing you want there's going to be a lot of open retail space. You are not going to want to kick out a company that will probably be viable after this. So you will see if a landlord, you know, I, I know here there was a property that Dix wanted. I don't know if they still want it. That was a Sears. Uh, and they, they were trying to get one floor. It was a really complicated negotiation. The city had to sign off on it. If Dix wants that location now, I'm sure Sears would hand it over to them. But for the most part, unless there's a tenant you want to get out, any landlord is going to have to be really, really understanding. Yeah, their their hands are really tied, like a lot of retail companies in this scenario. And maybe we'll have time to touch on on the last company we have on this list. And it's a company that uh, it's not going to be a controversial. We've talked a lot about it, Dan. And that's Home Depot. And Home Depot, their stores are still open amidst all of this. But let's be honest, if people start declaring bankruptcy, I'm not sure if home improvements are are really going to be the thing they're focused on first. So, so their stores are booming at the moment. Uh, because one, they do sell a lot of things that would be considered like necessary supplies. They sell some cleaning supplies. They sell trash bags. A lot of people are doing things like cleaning out the garage. So you're buying your contractor bags, uh, and things still break. People are buying extra freezers, you know, and and Home Depot sells those. Uh, and things break. The last store I was in was a Home Depot. It was about seven weeks ago. I've gone to plenty of drive-through, but I haven't physically been in a store for it's. I think it's about seven weeks. Uh, my sink was broken. And my contractor buddy came over and, and, and he looked at it and he, we, we, he tried a bunch of things and we couldn't get it. And I only had one plunger. He said, if you have two plungers uh, with everything we did, snaking it, you could probably get enough pressure to clear it. That won't fix the problem, but at least your drain will work well enough that you can like make dinner. Uh, so I walked into a Home Depot. Uh, it was not crowded at all. Uh, I, went, I didn't even have to go to a human for checkout. I, I yelled to someone, you know, hey, where are the plungers? They, they sent me in the right direction. Uh, I think they'll be fine because a lot of people are taking on DIY home improvement. Uh, and some of us that, that are doing well, like I know my contractor friend was hurting. I had him redo my bathroom at my other house. I'm not there. Uh, he had some other work he needed to finish for me there too. And, you know, it wasn't a small amount of money. It was about four grand. And Home Depot or Lowe's got about $2,500 of that. Uh, so, I, 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 yeah, if this goes a year, if there's multiple instances and maybe at some point people's money runs out, but a lot of people at the bottom end of the income scale or even the middle of the income scale, even if they're unemployed, uh, they're furloughed and they're making more money on unemployment with the federal backstop, the $600 a week backstop. Uh, and they might be doing things like painting the living room uh, and other stuff like that. And look, if your air conditioning breaks, you still need to fix your air conditioning. So home things would have to go really, really bad, really bad. Like, you know, you know the, the, the murder hornets learn to drive bad uh, for, for Home Depot to be in trouble. Well, you, we'll see what happens when they report next quarter. I think Home Depot and Lowe's are reporting over the next couple of weeks. Not to say that what happens next quarter really changes anything for either of these companies. But I, I yeah, I, I 
good. I actually think we booked a show to talk about yeah, it. Yeah. So in a, in, a f- in, a, in a few weeks, we will. Uh, I, I will either be totally wrong and uh, apologize to no. all of you in, in Fool Nation here, or or uh, my guess is the Home Depot numbers will be a lot like the Best Buy numbers. They're not great. You know, if it was a regular quarter, you'd be be upset. But for this, I think they're going to be just fine. They're also hiring people. That, that's a pretty good sign. I, I tend to agree with you there. And uh, I guess we will circle back in two weeks. We'll definitely talk before then, so it feels silly to say that. But we'll circle back on industry focus regarding Home Depot and Lowe's in a couple of weeks, because that will definitely be a really interesting um, show to kind of look at those earnings and, and talk about those companies. And Emily, I will point out that if uh, if the many people listening to us, the the tens and tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, I have no idea how big we've gotten uh, as pandemic entertainment. If you want more of me and Emily, we are on full live together on the weekends, occasionally during the week, Emily with other people, me with other people. If you subscribe to a Motley Fool service, any of them, you get access to see even more of us. Uh, you can see what we look like. Uh, that, that's, that's better in Emily's case than no, mine. No, it's horrifying. Uh, but, <laughs> you should just stay well, listening to the podcast if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can see Emily's cat, who often will, uh, will make appearances oh, during the show. So, so, you know, no, no, nobody told me to pitch, pitch the services, uh, but it is a really exciting community on Full Live and people learning how to invest, people getting better at investing. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I can say I, I pay for some of our services. So that is, you know, as, as high a recommendation as I can give. And plus, who wouldn't want more of me and Emily? <laughs> well, that's something we can agree about. And, you know, listeners and maybe some subscribers up out there, that will do it for this episode of Industry Focus. As usual, if you have any questions, um, you can always reach out and shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at MF Industry Focus. For the people out there who are subscribed, you can also find us in the live chat, send us a QA. and um, a But as always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any of the stock that we mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the screen today. For Dan Klein, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and fool on. Fool on.